So our Bible passage this morning is from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. If you're watching at home and you want to follow along, the link is in the chat. I will be reading from the New International Version, entitled The Narrow Door. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Steve, let's pray together. Father God, as we open up together today, another challenging portion of scripture, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give us ears to hear. We pray, Lord Jesus, that above everything, we will catch a glimpse of who you are. And in doing so, Lord God, help us ignite a fire within us to share this good news with all of those that we come into contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life that there was something that you really, really wanted to do, but ultimately almost missed out on the opportunity because you were a little bit lax about it, because you were a little bit too relaxed about the situation in front of you. I remember a few years ago when I was at college, I had the opportunity to go on a placement to Zimbabwe. I went out there for three and a half weeks to see what the church was like out there and to get involved in some of the activities that the local Baptist church was doing in Zimbabwe. And as I was out there, I got the opportunity to go and watch a Zimbabwean Premier League football match. It, it was a local team. They were called the Highlanders. They played at the Barberfield Stadium. And in a moment, there'll be a picture of this which comes up on the screen. And for a whole number of reasons... This particular football match that I went to watch, this was the match here, was probably one of the greatest experiences of watching football that I had ever had. But the truth is, I so nearly missed the opportunity. Now, the match that we were going to see started at 2 o'clock. And if you know me, you will probably know something about me, that I'm a little bit of a stickler for time. So if something starts at 2 o'clock, I need to be there for 1.45. Otherwise, I feel like I'm running late. And when it comes to football, 
I normally want to get there even earlier. To get to a stadium, I like to soak up the atmosphere, I like to have a look at the stadium, I like to see what is going on and just enjoy being in a particular place. Now, we were going to this particular ground and one of the things that I realised very, very quickly is that the difference between the British culture and the Zimbabwean culture was best expressed in the concept of time. Now, we had a guide who was going to take us to this particular match, and we agreed that we would meet for this match at 1.30 p.m. outside the stadium. Now, a 1.30 p.m. meet for me, like I said, means that I want to be there for 1.15 p.m. just to be on the safe side and make sure that I'm going to get into the grounds. Whereas for our guide, a 1.30 p.m. meet meant 2 p.m. on the dots. So I was freaking out by this time. And by this time, there was this big, huge crowd that had appeared outside the stadium. And the smallest of turnstiles to try to get in. It was quite a nervy experience. We were the only white guys in the entire stadium, so we drew a lot of attention that day. There were a lot of people coming up to us and wanted to speak to us. They were pressing into us and against us. And we so nearly missed the match. I don't know about you, but it's really easy, isn't it, to get worked up about little things, like being on time for something, which really, in the grand scheme of things, is not really that important, to make sure that we've got all of our ducks in a row when it comes to our life, to make sure that we are in control of the here and now. But when it comes to eternal issues, it's incredibly easy to get lax about them. We think that eternity is a long way off. We go about our daily business as if what is in the here and now is only the most important thing in our life. And what I believe that Jesus wants us to see today is that as the people of God, as people in general, we need to broaden our horizon and widen our perspective. Because like the man in the parable that we heard about last week, we do not know when God is going to say to us, your life is required of you. The Bible tells us that all of our days are written in his book. And if that is the case, each and every one of us needs to be ready for what is to come. In our passage today, what we see is Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. If you remember back to Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, Jesus had resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He was heading there in order that the mission that he came to complete on earth would ultimately be fulfilled and accomplished. He was heading there to pay the penalty for all of the wrong things that we think, say and do, which the Bible calls sin. For all of those times that we have offended a holy God, he was going to make a way for each and every one of us to be forgiven. And as he was traveling through the towns and the villages along the way, What we see is that the closer he got to Jerusalem, the more urgently he spoke about eternal issues. He wanted to shake people out of that complacency and wake them up to the fact that when you die, that is not the end. And we need to be more concerned about what happens after that. The fact of the matter is, the vast majority of our very existence happens when our life on earth is over. And one day... As Jesus was going through the towns and the villages, he was teaching. And as he was teaching, he was asked a question. Lord, is it only a few people who are going to be saved? We don't know why this question was asked. We don't know who 
asked this question. We don't know the tone that this question was asked in. We're not sure if this was a question because the man was concerned about his own standing before God or whether he was trying to trap Jesus with a hostile kind of question. But nevertheless, this question is asked. And it's a really important question. You see, it was a common understanding in Jesus' day that a few people would be saved and others would not be. And whatever the context of this question, in the way that it was asked on this occasion, the question is a question that you and I today have to grapple with personally. Am I going to be saved? When this life is over, when everything is said and done, when I have come to the end, will I find myself in the presence of Jesus? Or will I find myself apart from him in a place which the Bible calls hell? You see... It's incredibly easy to become complacent about your eternal destiny. All too often we think that because we come from a Christian home or a Christian family, because we attend church or maybe we at least attend church on Easter and Christmas, then that's all we have to do. And you see this mentality, don't you, played out at funerals all the time. The instant narrative that we often give when someone dies is, well, they're in a better place now. Maybe we do that out of comfort because we see grieving relatives and we want to say something which is going to help them. But what it portrays is that only really wicked people go to hell and everyone else is going to be okay. Everyone else is going to be all right as long as you've lived a life which is, you know, not too bad. But what we see here is that Jesus dispels that kind of thinking. And he causes every one of us to ask the question, who then is it that will be saved? And when Jesus is asked this particular question on this particular occasion, what I think we have to do is look at the thrust of his answer here. You see, the question which is posed to Jesus, the natural assumption was that Jesus was simply going to affirm this man's thoughts and this man's theology. You see, the prevailing thought of the Jews in that day was it would be the Israelites who would be saved. And in asking this question, perhaps the man's motive in asking this question is that he simply wanted his theology affirmed. But notice, when we look at Jesus' answer in this particular passage, he doesn't actually answer the question which is posed to him. The answer Jesus gives on this occasion is this, make every effort to enter through the narrow door Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to do so. For Jesus, he didn't want people speculating on how many people would be saved and how many people would perish. He wanted people to think about their own personal standing before God. And what he does is he takes a theoretical, theological statement and he personalizes it. Instead of how many people will be saved... It's drilled down to, will you be saved? Jesus consistently pressed people to know where they stood before an awesome and holy God. And in doing so, what he does is he offers an invitation to repent, to completely turn from your old way of living and your old life and receive forgiveness and receive new life. So the question that Jesus poses to this man is the same question he poses to you and me today. Will you be saved? The truth is, it doesn't matter how much theology you know, 
It doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible. It doesn't matter how many church services that you have been to. Unless you have come to Jesus for yourself, you've recognized your state and recognized your need for a savior, everything else is meaningless. But friends, there is good news today. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he is there to be found. So if today you do not know where you stand before God, if you have never come to him and asked him to forgive you for all of your sins, if you have never come and asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, don't leave it any longer. Don't allow complacency to allow you to think you've got plenty of time left. Don't allow your arrogance to make you think you can sort out your standing with God when you're on your deathbed and everything will be okay and you can live your life as you want up until that point. But today, my exhortation to you is to ask Jesus into your life because the good news is today he will give you a fresh start. He will give you a clean slate. He will give you life. Jesus said, I have come to give life and life in all its fullness. That's what he offers you today. So with that in mind, let's dig a little bit deeper into the statement that Jesus makes here. And look at how people enter the kingdom of God. We first of all, before we do this, need to understand that when Jesus is talking about the door, he's talking about himself. You will remember from our series last year when we looked at I am Jesus and we looked at those statements that Jesus made, that Jesus said, I am the door. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. The way to eternal life, friends, is restricted to one door. And that's why relatively few people find it. But we also need to see that Jesus said, my first point today is that Jesus said, the kingdom of God is entered by effort. Jesus said in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. What does that mean? People are saved by grace and grace alone, aren't they? Yes, that is absolutely true. The Bible says you are saved by grace and grace alone, not by your works so that no man can boast. The truth is there is nothing that you can physically do to affect your eternal standing before God. The Bible tells us that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags when it comes to God's. But even though salvation doesn't rest upon our shoulders, entering through the narrow gate is still difficult because of the opposition of our human pride, because of our natural love of sin, because of the opposition of Satan. All of these things, they battle against us getting through the narrow door and stop us pursuing eternity. The Greek word which is used here for effort in our translation that we have in front of us is the Greek word agonismai, which is where we get our English word agonize from. It implies this kind of picture of struggle and strain. It gives us a picture really of an athlete running towards the finish line and straining towards the finish line in order to get there. And the exhortation for each and every one of us with that in mind is not simply to look at the narrow door Not simply to know the way that the narrow door leads. Not simply to contemplate it and think about it and then walk away. The truth is to strive and strain towards it. And you know, the reality is everyone wants to go to heaven. The problem is, often, 
We simply want heaven on our own terms. I'll go there if I can do it on my own way. That's why the most popular song at funerals is the song My Way. We want to do things in our own effort. We want to do things in our own way. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if you want to know eternal life for yourself, you've got to strive for it. There's one door. There's one way. It's through Jesus. Focus on him. Focus on that way and make every effort to strive towards it. And with that in mind this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, let me ask you the question, are you striving towards the narrow door? Christian, is Jesus the priority in your life today? Or are you, have you heard the words with gladness, allowed it to bear fruit, and allowed the cares of this world to begin to choke you and pull you down? From our passage today, we also learn that the kingdom of God is entered through relationship. We read these words in verses 25 to 28. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you've come from. Then you will say, We ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you've come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself are thrown out. Once again, Jesus wants to shock his hearers into realizing the reality of their situation. That they were complacent because they really wrongly assumed that because of their heritage that they would be counted as among the elect. And they simply assumed at this point that because they had some association with Jesus, if they were to find themselves on the wrong side on that day of judgment, they could simply appeal to the fact that they knew Jesus. Some of them had eaten and they drunk with Jesus. Surely their association with him would be enough to see them through. Right after all, it's not what you know, it's who you know. In fact, the opposite is true. They would receive no mercy just because they had some sort of association with Jesus. Salvation is not found in association with Jesus. Many people say that they associate with Jesus. Many people can tell you about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Other religions associate with Jesus, but intellectual belief in Jesus ultimately amounts to nothing. We read in other parts of Scripture, even the demons believe, and they shudder. Salvation is found in knowing him personally. So let me ask you again, church, do you know him personally? Don't be fooled into thinking that you're going to be okay because you have been attached to Hope Baptist Church all your life and you've come to services week after week. That association will mean very little on judgment day. In fact, the only question that will mean anything on that day is when you are asked by God and he says to you, what did you do with my son? Did you learn about him and then leave him alone? Did you admire him from afar? Or did you enter into relationship with him for yourself? The final thing we learn from our passage today about how the kingdom of God is entered into is that the kingdom of God is entered into by the multitude. Verses 29 and 30 say, This people will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, 
There are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Remember the original question was, will only a few people be saved? The common belief was that the Jews would be saved and ultimately everyone else would perish. But Jesus dispels that here once and for all. He says that people from all nations will come to the realization of who he is, of what he has done. And as a result, people from everywhere, every nation, every background, every skin tone, every walk of life would be able to receive salvation for themselves. That's amazing, isn't it? That means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter about your family history or your family background. It doesn't matter where you've come from. You can receive the free gift of salvation for yourself because of his great love for us. You know, I've heard it said many times, it's all right for you. You haven't lived the life that I have lived. You don't know what I have done. God would never forgive me. I want you to know today, wherever you're watching this from, yes, he will. If you come to him, if you strive to enter through the narrow door, if you're prepared to forego your old life, to completely leave it behind and receive the new life that Jesus Christ offers, that abundant forgiveness is yours today. Friends, what I want you to hear today is this, whether you class yourself as a Christian or not, don't allow yourself to become complacent about eternal things and your standing before God. But today, The call is that once again we search our hearts and we ask ourselves the question, have I given my life to King Jesus? And if the answer is no, shortly I want to lead you in a prayer to start that relationship with him today. You know, today, on this Sunday in the Christian calendar, we're called to remember the events of Palm Sunday, the day where, as we've seen in the video earlier, Jesus finally enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. People lined the streets and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And in a few days' time, those same people would be shouting, crucify him. And as a result, he was led away. He was stripped naked. He was beaten. He was mocked. He had a crown of thorns thrust into his head. And then he had nails driven into his hands and his feet. And he was lifted up to die. But on that day, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and those crowds lined the street, the word Hosanna that they were shouting simply meant, Lord, save us. And today, as we think about our standing before God. A relationship with him starts with the same call. Lord, save me. And as I close this morning, I want to show a video. And it's a video really of reflection. And I want you to use this time this morning as a time of prayer, a time of reflection. And ask yourself honestly today, where do you stand before God right now? If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, I'd love to pray a prayer to help you start a relationship with him. It is only the start. By coming to God and asking him into your life, you're saying, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. And we would love to help you on that journey. If you're watching this and you are a Christian and you know you're standing before God, I want to challenge you this morning and to ask you to ask the question, how is my walk going right now?
You know, other parts of scripture call us to walk worthy of the call that we have in Christ Jesus. Knowing Jesus is not about a one-time prayer. It's about constantly walking with him as your Lord and Savior. So let's watch this video. Let's use this as a time of reflection and ask ourselves today, how is my walk with Jesus going? Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave.
Today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he is there to be found. Draw on him while he is near. Where do you stand with God today? Today, you can come awake. You can come alive. The good news is that if you come to Jesus, he'll never turn you away. I'm going to lead a prayer now. And if you're watching this, and you don't know where you stand before God, if you've never come to know Jesus for yourself, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. If you are watching this, and maybe you have wandered off and you have not thought about God for a long time, use this as a way and a prayer just to come back to him today and recommit once again. I'm going to pray it slowly. I'm going to pray it line by line. I want to encourage you to watch this and to repeat this prayer with me this morning. Father God, forgive me for my complacency. Forgive me for the times that I have never even considered you. Forgive me that I have lived a life often that has made myself Lord of it. And today, Lord Jesus, I ask you into my life. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you that you came and you died on a cross and you rose again that I might be free and forgiven. May this day I come awake and make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or you prayed it because you want to recommit yourself to Jesus today, I'd love for you to write in the comments on Facebook or YouTube, I prayed that prayer. And we'll be in touch with you. We would love to help you on this journey of following Jesus for yourself and in this journey into new life. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And let's pray as they come up and they get ready. Father God, today we don't just pray for individuals to come awake. But Lord, we pray for your church to come awake. Forgive us for the times where we have been lax. Forgive us for the times where we have been complacent. Forgive us for the times where we have made it all about a Sunday morning service and we have not considered the lost. Forgive us, Lord God, for the times where you have not truly been Lord. And today our prayer is for our congregation here and for your church worldwide that the church would rise up, wake up, O oh sleeper and be the church that you call us to be. And in response this morning, as we lift up our voices in worship, may, Lord God, it be a sweet sound in your ear. May, Lord God, we meet with you in the songs that we sing. May you encourage us. May you give us scripture. May you give us pictures. May you give us words of knowledge to share to build up your church at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.